Hello there, and welcome to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. My name is Richard Frankowitz, and I'm the Youth Director here at Sardis Fellowship Baptist Church. Today, Pastor Rod Heppel continues in our series in the Book of John. Thanks for listening, and enjoy. I begin the message for today. I have one more announcement to bring to our congregation um, about a man who passed away this last week, and I want to pray for his wife. His name is Abe Giesbrecht, and his wife's name is Jane. They attended this, year, this church for many, many years, and it was um, very shocking and, and unexpected that this last week he passed away. And we did put that out on Thursday in the email update with Jane's phone number. If anyone wanted to contact her and encourage her, you could do so. But I thought it would be appropriate that we would pray for her and the family this morning. So join with me in your hearts. Father, we know that our lives are in your hands. We know that none of us know the day nor the hour. Thank you that Abe is your child and with you now. We do pray for Jane. We pray for her comfort in this loss that is shocking and unexpected. We would pray that you, Holy Spirit, would be near to her in ways that she needs at this time. And I pray that as those who are friends and family that uh, are around her at this time would encourage her as well. So we lift her up to you today in Jesus' name. Amen. My wife likes to watch a show called Alone. She wishes I would like it a little bit more. But as an extreme extrovert, the whole premise of the show, quite frankly, unnerves me. It's a reality TV show where people get dropped off in remote places, whether in BC or Labrador or in this case the Arctic, and they have to survive for weeks on end, for some of them months, the longest one I think was 100 days, and they build their own shelter and they have to do that before winter comes and then they go out and they hunt to try to stay alive and all this while fighting off or trying to avoid bears or wild animals. Now, as if surviving isn't bad enough, you have to do it alone, no one with you, I'd be tapping out by the end of the first week, you know? They call this entertainment. I have enough stress in my life, just watching it just really sets me off. Some of you introverted people are probably wondering, how do I sign up to go do that? Now that sounds like a great, that's a, that's a getaway. Now, it's one thing if you choose to participate in a program like that, and you know that it does come to an end where you reintegrate back into regular life, but what if your life here was truly like living alone in this world. We don't typically like that, right? We don't really like being all alone, to not know or be known. We don't like to be the one who's left behind either. Um, It's hard when someone in our life who's been like a stabling, strengthening person in our lives dies as Abe would have been in Jane's life. I I often think of this when I'm at memorial services and I I see like a patriarch or matriarch of the family, you know, this grandparent who has always been there and has been the uniting factor in the family. And, And you sense that there's this great hole in the absence of that person in the life of the family where there's this kind of uncertainty. There's an unsettledness about it for the what are now the kids and grandkids, right, that this one who they have leaned on, this one who's always been there, this one who's been a strength in the family is now gone. 
No one likes it when that happens and no one wants to be left behind. And I think that that's how the disciples are feeling in this passage in John's Gospel as Jesus begins to say to them, I'm leaving. They don't understand it because they don't know what's about to come. The text tells us Jesus knows what's about to come, but the disciples don't know what is coming. Within 24 hours, Jesus really will leave them. And so he spends his time preparing them for that reality. They can't imagine what life would be like without Jesus, their leader, present amongst them. Let's face it, they'd been in a lot of tricky situations, but Jesus was always there. And as long as Jesus was there, everything was going to be okay. They were reassured. But now, Jesus is leaving. He says to them, don't be afraid. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In this world, you will have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. Jesus is trying to reassure them in the midst of their feelings of aloneness, uncertainty, and fear. And we know what those feelings are like, right? Aloneness, uncertainty, fear. There's a verse we often quote sometimes to ourselves to encourage us or sometimes to one another to encourage one another. Hebrews 13.5b, which says, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. The words of God to us. God is always with us and He never gives up on us. That's an important message that we need to know. But how? How is it that God is with us? Is He just with us in a general sense that, you know... God is so great, He's everywhere around us? Or is it more that it's personal in nature and He has something more intimate for us in this understanding that God is with us and never will forsake us? This is a teaching that we're going to have today from Jesus on the idea of God being with us and God being in us. That no matter what our life circumstances or no, no matter where we go, that God is always with us. And so Jesus says to his disciples, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. But you know him for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. These are the words that Jesus is giving in this passage from John 14 to 16 where he's informing them of something that they actually don't yet know. He's speaking about the presence of the Holy Spirit who is to come. And because of the presence of the Holy Spirit, God never leaves us nor forsakes us. I will send another advocate. And that's what I want us to look at. Um, Who is this advocate that Jesus is talking about, this other one that he is going to send to the disciples? And how is this advocate, this spirit of truth, who is also referred to as the Holy Spirit, how is he in our lives? The context for this sharing of Jesus is that upper room experience. We've been talking about the upper room. It was this place in Jerusalem, in a house, on the top floor, and they met up there. More than once they met up there. And in this particular case, they gathered there the night before Jesus was to die. And it's a highly personal and intimate time that Jesus is having with his disciples. And John, the author of this gospel, brings us, the listeners, the readers, into the very presence of Jesus in that room to hear his teachings that he is giving to his disciples. So this is Thursday night, the night before he passes away, which is often called Monday Thursday. And if you're new to Sardis Fellowship, we do a communion service on Thursday night, April the 6th, uh, here at the church, 
Um, it's a worship service focusing on the death of Christ, but also on elements that take place uh, on the evening that Jesus washed the disciples' feet. And so uh, we invite you to come out that night. We will not be doing our communion service on Sunday morning, April 2nd, because we will be having that communion together on Thursday night, April the 6th. So mark your calendar for that. This is the night that he ate the meal, the disciples, with Jesus. And Jesus takes the bread and he takes the cup and he gives them that new meeting, right? This bread is now my body. This cup is now my blood of the new covenant for you. For what? For the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus is giving his life for the disciples and for us. They just don't understand what it means. It's the same night that he took the towel and he washes their feet and then he says to them, as I have done for you, do for one another. And he's not just talking about washing feet. He's talking about serving one another and he gives them this new command. He says, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so shall you love one another. And how has Jesus loved them? He gave his life for them. That's how he wants us to love one another. And he gives that command to them. It's the same night that Judas then leaves and he goes out to portray Jesus to the religious leaders. It's the same night that Peter, Jesus says to Peter, you will deny me. You will deny me three times. And it's the same night that Jesus says to them, I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I will only be with you a little longer and you will look for me, but where I'm going, you cannot come. And so this is the, the fear that they have in their heart, the uncertainty of the situation. And to calm their fears and more accurately, to calm them by telling them about what is to come, he tells them who is to come. Who is to come that will be the one that will calm their fears, will be the one who will teach them the truth of Jesus after he is gone. Five times Jesus references the Holy Spirit, and I want to read all five of those passages. They're quite short, but it goes from John 14, 15, and then 16. And if you have your Bibles, you can open to it. Um, I will have the words on the screen, but I want you to see these five different times that Jesus references the Holy Spirit uh, in this short little three chapters. And then what I want you to do is be listening for the repeated themes, because Jesus is making an emphasis here on who this one is in the life of the disciples. So listen to the words of uh, John 14. If you love me, keep my commands, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And dropping down to verse 25. All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything that I have said to you. And John 15. When the Advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. In John 16, two passages. But very truly I tell you, it is for your own good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. When he comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. About sin, because people do not believe in me. About righteousness, because I am going to the Father, where you can see me no longer. And about judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me, because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. 
All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive for me what He will make known to you. These are the five passages on the Holy Spirit from John 14 to 16. And here's what I want us to look at today. Just two questions. Who is the Holy Spirit and what does He do in my life? Who is the Holy Spirit? You know, we don't talk enough about the Holy Spirit and we don't think enough about what it is that He is doing in my life. And that's what I want us to pause and do here this morning. So he begins in John 14 there with these words where he says, I will send, I will ask the Father. You know, at one point he says, I send, but, you know, he's asking the Father to send in his name the advocate. But he says, another advocate. Do you see that there? Another advocate. If Jesus is sending another advocate, it begs the question, who's the first advocate? And, of course, the answer is it's Jesus. So just like Jesus had been with the disciples and he taught them and he guided them, and he revealed to them who the Father was, so will this other advocate teach them and reveal to them the fullness of who Jesus is. After the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit will bring to mind the things that the disciples had heard Jesus teaching about. The things they didn't understand prior to his resurrection will now become clear after the resurrection, and they will be the ones who not only write this down, but be the ones who present and preach this message. And Jesus says, that is the role of the Holy Spirit. The other advocate will teach you and reveal myself to you in my fullness. Now, the word that John uses here, and in my version, the NIV, it uses the term advocate. Uh, It's translated in other versions as counselor, comforter, helper. I'm not sure which version you have, but it probably has one of those. And the reason for this is that There isn't just one English word to capture the fullness of what this Greek word means. In Greek, it's, um, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I can read what other Greek scholars tell me, so I just read them and pass it on. If you want to know, go talk to Joel or Archie or Tim. They'll fill you in. This word for advocate in Greek is parakaleo, or also it could be um, parakletos. Which, of course, we look at that and go, well, that doesn't make any sense for us. And so whenever there's a Greek word that you um, want to bring into English, but there's no English word, you do what's called transliteration. You take the sounds of the Greek word and you try to find the same sounds in English so that it correlates so you could recognize it. But the problem is it doesn't have a meaning. Uh, So the English transliteration is paraclete. But if I said to you the paraclete, you would go... Yeah, what's up? (laughs) I got soccer cleats. What's a paraclete, right? Like it doesn't have meaning to us. And so what you do then is you have to translate the word into something that's understandable and makes sense. And that's how they've come up with advocate. The advocate. The counselor, the helper. So para means with or for or alongside. And kaleo, which happens to be the name of the Bible school on Vancouver Island where some of our Uh, own young adults have gone to school. Kaleo means to call or to summon. And so you have this idea of one who is called alongside. The para-kaleo, the one who's called alongside. Jesus says to the disciples, I'm going to send you another who is called alongside. One to walk with you. Now, not to get too technical here, but it's it's a legal term. Okay? The idea of paraclete is a legal term, which means you can think of it like a legal assistant. And the legal assistant is going to help you and advocate for you in court. 
So if you stood before the law and you needed to be pronounced right about something, you would get the help you need to be pronounced right. And the paraclete is that one that on your behalf brings you counsel and guidance and support and encouragement. That's why our English Bibles has tried to capture the word that Jesus has used as advocate or counselor or comforter or helper. And that's who the Holy Spirit is to the disciples, he says, and that's who the Holy Spirit is to us as well. He is the one who comes alongside. What's beautiful about this is that it's not just, John's not using this in just a legal way. There's a legal element to it, but he goes beyond the parameters of just a courtroom. He goes into the whole understanding of once something is known as true, it becomes encouragement. That makes sense to me. If it's not true, and I don't know the truth, don't try to comfort me with non-truth. That's not true comfort. To say, no, 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 they'll be fine, but they died. It doesn't comfort me to, no, 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 they're just fine, and then to find out they've died. The Holy Spirit comes along, and he is the one who says, the truth about Jesus is life. That's the truth. And you, therefore, are comforted and encouraged and supported by that truth. So that's how that works. There's kind of a technical role that the Holy Spirit plays here and a very practical role. He draws us to Christ so that we might know the truth of Christ, and then he infills us, and he lives within us. And he is the one who... um, convinces us of the truth of Christ, but also is the guarantee of Christ in us. Now, John is the only writer in the New Testament who uses this paraclete idea. Um, The only other place outside of, of here, where he uses it four times in the passages I've just read for you, is in 1 John, which John also wrote, uh, 1 John 2, 1, but here it's speaking about Jesus. So, so follow this. He's just said, Jesus has just said, I will send you another paraclete, referencing the Holy Spirit. Here in John 1, my dear children, <clears throat> I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, the paraclete, with the Father. An advocate with the Father. Who? Jesus Christ, the righteous one. So Jesus is our advocate. Now, I don't know if you know this, but in Revelation chapter 20 verse, or in 12, verse 10, um, it, it mentions that we have an enemy, uh, the devil, Satan, who is also the accuser of the brothers and sisters in Christ. So if you're a brother and sister in Christ, the enemy has a full-time job because he says that it does, he does this role day and night before God. He's accusing brothers and sisters in Christ. Then I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now, have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters who accuses them before our God day and night has been hurled down. They triumphed over him by the blood of the Lamb. And so not to go into all the details of what's going on here, but just to reference the fact that we have someone who is accusing us. But the good news is we have an advocate, and it's Jesus. Jesus is our advocate He, the righteous one, stands before the Father in our defense. He says, yes, that's right, Satan. That Rod Heppel is a rotten sinner. But just one thing, Father. My blood has covered his sin. He's one of ours. He's a child of God. The accuser can accuse, but the righteous one is our advocate who stands before the Father and says, he or she is our possession. He's ours. Jesus is my paraclete, my advocate before the Father in heaven. And what happens with the role of the Holy Spirit is he takes the work that is happening there in the presence of the throne of God and he makes it a reality in my life. 
He is the link between what happens there before God's throne and what happens in my life. He is the one who is my comforter, my counselor, my assurance that I am a child of God. Paul picks up on this when he says in Ephesians, and I'm not going to read it, but if you read Ephesians 1, you'll get a real good take on, on the work of the Holy Spirit. He says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. When you take an envelope in olden days and they would put it shut with some wax and they would stick a seal on it, that seal, the emblem of that seal was the guarantee that what was inside that letter belonged to the person who sent it. The authority of the person who sent it was in the seal. The authority of the fact that we belong to God is in the seal. And the seal is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to live within us, Paul says. He is our deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance, which is salvation. He says that we are God's possession. Do you not love that language? Think about that for a second. The Holy Spirit living within you by faith in Jesus Christ, the Spirit comes to live within you. You are God's possession. If you're God's possession... Can anyone take you out of God's hand? No way. Jesus even says that. No one can snatch you out of the hand of God. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. This uh, theologian in his commentary, Merrill C. Tenney, he says the Spirit's coming would be a confirmation of Jesus' exaltation to the Father's right hand to begin his present ministry of advocate and intercessor. That's Jesus' present ministry. And the disciples experienced that in Acts. If you read the book of Acts, you'll see the coming of the Holy Spirit. And uh, when they experienced the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> they attributed this to Jesus. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we're all witnesses of it, the disciples. Jesus, exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. And so what they're linking together is the resurrection of Jesus, the ascension of Jesus. He goes to sit in the throne room of God at the right hand of the Father. He's exalted that position. The moment of glory has come, and now he's been glorified with the Father. And now he sends the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit comes to live within us and indwell us. Jesus says to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He would send them another paraclete to not only be with them, but to dwell in them. Why? To teach, to guide, to support, and encourage. It's interesting that Jesus actually says to them, it is better for you that I am going away. Why? That doesn't really make sense, Jesus. Well, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. Okay, but how is that better than you being right here with us, Jesus? I think the idea is that Christ is limited in his resurrected human body. He can only be in one place at one time. And so the, a better for you is the fact that the Holy Spirit represents Christ in us wherever we are. Wherever in this world you go, you are never alone. The Holy Spirit goes with you. The church of God is around the world and the presence of Christ is in every single believer by the work of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Spirit does. He takes the work of Jesus and he makes it real in our lives. Wherever we live, wherever we go, whatever we're facing, the presence of Christ is always, always, always with me. Vicki Snyder, some of you will know, she got baptized last June over here in our baptismal tank. Vicki is a long-haul truck driver. <clears throat> in fact, she's in Oxnard, California today. It's just uh, north of Los Angeles. She said she's bringing home a load of pineapples. 
I wrote her to ask if I could tell the story that she had shared with me, and she said this, absolutely, say whatever you need to say. I don't have a problem with it. Jesus loves me, and I love Jesus. Thank you, Vicki. If you've met Vicki, you know that she's what we call a straight shooter. A straight shooter. Uh, life on the road, for sure, has played a part in shaping and honing this quality. Uh, things like, you know, those idiots who cut you off in traffic or pull in front of your 18-wheeler loaded with pineapples and they expect you to stop suddenly and they've cut... Those kind of situations that happen for truckers over the course of many years can leave you with a certain sense of a perspective on life and people, you might say. And here's the point I want to make. She told me that after she became a Christian, after she was baptized, she shared with me, she said, you know... I can't say out loud anymore the things I used to say about those people. <laughs> Jesus is sitting in the passenger seat of the cab of my truck. I just look over there and I go, I know, I know, she says, I know. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. He takes what is real about Jesus and what he did on the cross and he brings it right into our world. He not only sits in that seat in the truck, he is in me by the presence of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father will testify about me. That's what's happening in the truck. The Spirit is testifying about Jesus to Vicky. Thank you, Kevin. I have no stool. Okay. You're a multi-talented man. He also says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. To help you. To help you what? To help you remember I don't want to be like that anymore, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does. And now I get my drink. Thank you. <clears throat> For he lives with you and will be in you. I want us to own this. I want us to know that wherever we go, we're never alone. The one who has been called alongside of us comes to live with us and in us. The Holy Spirit takes the truth of Jesus and he makes it real in our lives. That's what he does. Here's everything listed in John 14 to 16 about what the Holy Spirit does for those disciples. Um, helps you and be with you forever. Live with you and be in you. Teach you all things and remind you of everything that I, Jesus, said to you. Testify about me, Jesus. Prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment. Guide you into all truth. Tell you what is yet to come. Glorify me, so the Spirit glorifies Jesus. Receive from me, Jesus, what he will make known to you, the disciples. Daryl Johnson, the prophet regent that I've referenced many times because I took his course on John's gospel, <clears throat> he says there's a fourfold ministry of the Spirit for the disciples that he sums up like this. One, to bring to the remembrance all that Jesus said. And then Dr. Daryl Johnson says that's, that's done in the gospels. That's what the gospels are is the work of the Holy Spirit bringing to their minds everything that Jesus has said. The second one, teaching them, the disciples, all things. Well, that's fulfilled in the epistles. I mean, it's the, the epistles is taking the truth of what the Gospels is teaching about Jesus and making it real in their lives, teaching them what this actually means, all these things about Jesus and how it works out in their lives. Three, discloses the things to come, because Jesus said that. And he says that's revelation. 
He discloses to John about the things yet to come. And the last one, guide them into all truth, has to do with this understanding that the Spirit will keep us in the truth. We need to be kept in the truth of the Gospels and the Epistles. We don't want our own truth. We want the truth. And we want to be kept in the truth because it's in the truth that we are set free. So as we look at these various references about what the Holy Spirit does in the life of the disciples, we might ask ourselves the questions, well, which ones really are still true for me? Because I wasn't there. I wasn't an eyewitness of this. I'm reliant on the eyewitnesses. And here's the ones I think that you can directly apply to your life. It is true for you, as it was for them, that the Holy Spirit will help you and be with you forever. It is true for you, as it was for them, that the Holy Spirit lives within you, will be with you, and be in you. This next one, I would say, is true for them because the Holy Spirit brought to mind them what they wrote down that we now rely on. The third, the, um, yeah, the third one for us, testify about Jesus. That's what the Holy Spirit does to us. He testifies to us about who Jesus is. He proves to the world to be wrong about sin, righteousness, and judgment. Yeah, that's what the Holy Spirit does in my life and your life. He helps us know what sin is. He helps us know what righteousness is. He guides us to Jesus. He guides us into all truth. Yeah, he does. He keeps us in the truth. And when we obey the truth, the truth sets us free. These other ones, I would say, are more for the disciples. But it's interesting that Jesus even says in John 17 that the disciples would glorify Jesus. And by, pres- by the presence of the Holy Spirit in us, we glorify Jesus too. So here's my point. We need to open our Bibles. We need to read the Gospels. We need to need- read the letters. We need to read the entire Bible. We need to know God's truth because when we read God's truth, the Holy Spirit takes it and he teaches us all things about Jesus and he keeps us in that truth. So what truth is the Holy Spirit making clear to us today? I think a bit of it is caught in John 16 in this passage. When he, the advocate, comes, he will prove the world to be in the wrong about sin and righteousness and judgment about sin because people do not believe in me. Think what he's saying there. People need to know that we are sinners. And it's a hard thing for us to grapple with. I'm not a sinner. I'm perfectly fine, thank you. I'm as good as the next guy. You might be, but you're not holy like God is holy. And the quicker you realize that we all have things that from the inside work their way out, we need the Spirit to help us understand we have a sin problem, which then takes us to Jesus. About righteousness because I'm going to the Father, where you can see me no longer, and about judgment because the prince of this world now stands condemned. You know what the Holy Spirit is doing? He's telling us to get right with Jesus. He's telling us that we need him because the Holy Spirit's role is to convict the world and us of sin, of judgment, of righteousness. Here's the point. There's no Savior if there's... There's no Savior, pardon me, there is no other Savior than Jesus. He is the Savior. There is no other salvation that I can have or earn or whatever outside of Jesus. There's this problem called sin, and it's my problem and your problem, and that's why Jesus went to the cross. So that's the truth that we need to understand here that we kind of bristle against. This paraclete, the advocate, the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us and he points us to Jesus. That's what Jesus said to Nicodemus. He said, you know, he's wooing you. He's like the wind that comes and and is blowing in different directions. What that means is that the Holy Spirit is meeting people where they're at in different ways and he's drawing them to Jesus that they might be reborn spiritually. 
This paraclete is our legal counsel to guide us into truth and to encourage and support us in that, in that counsel that he gives us. What is the truth? Jesus is the truth. The truth is, I'm a sinner, I need a savior. The truth is, Jesus is the one and only son of God who came into this world. The truth is that he went to the cross to pay for my sin and your sin. The truth is, I would die in my sins if it were not for Jesus. The truth is that by believing in Jesus, my sins are forgiven. And the advocate is mine telling me that Jesus advocates before the Father on my behalf. The truth is that the prince of this world now stands condemned. Already, he's condemned. He has a stinger, but he can't sting you to death. The truth is that by faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to live in me and I become a child of God. I'm his possession and that's the work of the Holy Spirit and that's what Jesus wanted his first disciples to know and understand and I think that's what he wants us to know and understand today. So I leave you with this closing passage, the words of Jesus, because the disciples were afraid. The disciples were uncertain about the future. We might be as well. And he gives them these words. If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and, you will, and he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You are not alone in this world. Thanks for listening to our Sardis Fellowship Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please check out sardisfellowship.com. Have a great day and God bless.